Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. on Wednesday, May 12th. I'm Ashley Norwood, in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor is joining a cohort of Republican leaders ending federal unemployment assistance. He says the move is necessary to boost the economy. Others say it's still too early to cut off aid to people in need. Then, Amtrak service is meant to return to the Gulf Coast next year, but there's a chance the Gulf Coast line might not leave the station. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, understanding the pipeline attack causing a consumer panic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians collecting unemployment benefits are soon losing a $300 federal supplement. Governor Tate Reeves opted out of the program at the earliest allowable time, June 12th. Reeves says he made the decision following many conversations over the weeks with small business owners. The move is being celebrated by conservative leaders and think tanks as a necessary measure to boost the economy. But groups working to end poverty in Mississippi are critical of the governor's decision. Brandon Jones with the Southern Poverty Law Center tells our Desiree Frazier it's too soon to cut off those in dire need. I think it comes at a particularly cruel moment. Um, this pandemic has just uh, ravaged everyone at every walk of life. And we've seen families struggling in a way that's unique um, in American history. And coming out of this, we hope that we're beginning to turn a corner, but we know that economically we're not quite there yet. And um, so these benefits are intended to help people who are struggling through no fault of their own um, people who are trying to find work, people who are trying to, uh, you know, put one foot in front of the other. And so to take those benefits away at this particular moment where life has been so tenuous is uh, just just particularly cruel and, and a real blow to, to folks who are struggling. Some people might not uh, feel that way, that because the benefits are more generous than their pay, that they are opting to stay out 
and not work just because they don't want to work? You know, I, I think that is a uh, painting with too broad a brush. I, I think that that um, that's an offensive characterization of people who are truly struggling. I, I don't know of anyone who uh, doesn't want to work and, and who doesn't uh, want to have that opportunity when they're able-bodied and, and, and able to join the workforce. And so the notion that people would sit back and struggle, and let's be honest, the amount of money that we're talking about here, $300 a month on top of the it's a lowest week. Ben- It's a week. Uh, yes, excuse me, $300 a week on top of the lowest benefit in the country, this is survival money. This this is not um, – this is this is not uh, money that uh, you just use frivolously. This this means survival for these individuals and their families. And so, I think um, some of the things that have been said to prop up this political argument have not been completely accurate. Uh, you know, people have struggled to find work in this workplace. Um, people have uh, struggled to make do with what they are being paid. Um, and so in some cases, you have people who are underemployed that are represented within this number as well because they can't find employment that pays enough to cover their bills. And so I, I just think, it, you know, there again, um, some of the statistics and analysis that are being used to prop up this argument really fall flat in light of the reality that so many people cannot find work in Mississippi. And um, when they do find work, it's not adequate to cover basic needs. And looking at a copy of a letter from House Speaker Philip Gunn to the governor, he said, I and other House members are continually being contacted by increasingly desperate small business people who tell us their businesses are at risk. So what are the small businesses supposed to do in this situation? Well, typically in a situation where a business is having a hard time hiring someone, they need to look at um, what they're offering people that they're inviting into their workspace. And I, and I think we all across this country and particularly here in Mississippi need to evaluate a minimum wage that has been rock bottom for decades now and going unchanged. I would say to political leadership in the state, that if you truly want to kickstart economic recovery in the poorest state in the country, they should look at programs like Medicaid expansion, which provides coverage healthcare coverage for people making less than $18,000 a year. And we have more than 200,000 of those people in Mississippi. And they should look at raising the minimum wage, giving people money that allows them to work and provide for themselves and their families. And, you know, these employers who are begging the government to force people back into the workforce so that they can pay them some of the lowest wages in the entire country, I think need to be reflective about what they're asking people to step back into. And at the end of a pandemic, with the health risk and other things associated with that, we need to think about Mississippians, and we need to think about how we create a better workspace and a better workforce. And um, I think if we attended to those needs, we might not have some of the challenges that people are complaining to Speaker Gunn about. Brandon Jones of the SBLC with our Desiree Frazier. For those reliant on the added benefits, the decision is creating a level of anxiety. 50-year-old Allison Vaughn of Byram says she changed careers, earned a bachelor's and a master's degree in business administration, but hasn't been able to find a job for over a year. It's hurtful because how would I pay my mortgage and my bill on the 
just the two thirty five a month, which totals nine hundred and sixty dollars for the remaining unemployment that we will receive. So I, it feels like I'm gonna become homeless. Um, I feel like I'm gonna let my family down. And it's two hundred thirty five a week, right? Yes, ma'am. After the stimulus is taken away. How much of a difference did that extra three hundred dollars a week? It's helping out a lot with with the bills, um, groceries, maintenance on my car. It, it's helping out a whole lot, um, and I, I need that in order to even try to save. Because you have to, as well as pay your bills and budget, you have to save for emergencies. See, I won't even have an emergency fund with the $960 a month. So I'm going to be behind on my credit card bills and other bills in my home. Do you have children? I have grandchildren. They don't live with me, but when they come over, I have to make sure food is here. There have been comments. Uh, I was looking at the governor's Facebook page, and there's a range of comments from folks saying that it's not that people don't want to work, it's the pay, and then um, some people saying that people don't want to work. How do you feel about the whole dialogue around this issue? Right. I I don't know because, see, I don't even know those people who do not want to go to work. I've been hearing it in my community, just in conversations that people don't want to come back to work or go to work because they're making more money in unemployment than they were on their jobs in the restaurant business and other different uh, businesses. But that's that's it because a lot of us do want to get out this house a year. I haven't had a job in a year. Mississippi's average $235 weekly unemployment benefit is the lowest in the nation. Coming up, Amtrak service is meant to return to the Gulf Coast next year, but there's a chance the Gulf Coast line might not leave the station. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. Amtrak wants Americans to fall back in love with trains. It has plans for about 30 new routes across the country, including a passenger line between New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama. That's meant to start next year. But as Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports, there's a chance the Gulf State, the Gulf Coast line might not leave the station. The biggest support for the new Amtrak line comes from the four small Mississippi beach towns the train will stop at, including Bay St. Louis. Resident Wendy Hayden loves the romance of train travel. Oh, I'm thrilled. I can't wait. I'll be one of the first ones on it going to Mobile. (laughs) Even more exciting is what Amtrak would mean for her city. She points to a strip mall just across from the train depot. It used to be known for seedy bars and empty storefronts. 
They're going to have another restaurant, I think, next door. I don't know what this is going to be on the end, but they have a Pilates place going in, and they have a place that's called Bonjour. It's a dog store. Now, business owners say they did not move in just because of the possibility of a new Amtrak line. But the idea of tourists stepping off the train and into their stores made the decision a lot easier. A study by the University of Southern Mississippi says train tourists could bring hundreds of millions of dollars to Mississippi's economy each year. But that Amtrak train might not ever arrive because of opposition from the freight train industry. Those freight trains already pass through Hayden's neighborhood and regularly shake her house. It's actually kind of a soothing kind of sound and, you know, the click-clack, click-clack. Look, when it comes to trains transporting people, the United States is far behind Europe and Asia. But railroad experts say when it comes to transporting products, America has the best freight rail system in the world, delivering goods farther and cheaper than other countries. It was how America was built. And our commerce in the United States is dependent upon that rail. Judith Adams is a spokesperson with the Alabama State Port Authority. Trains connect the Port of Mobile to cities across the nation, delivering everything from iron to car parts to peanuts. That's made this area an economic powerhouse for Alabama. Adams says a passenger train sharing the same railroad to New Orleans would just get in the way. Delays in transportation cost our shippers money. Those are U.S. jobs. So it's important that the infrastructure flows. How much of a delay we're talking about, well, we don't know. Amtrak agreed to study how many state and federal dollars should be invested to avoid serious delays, but then they canceled the study. What are they afraid of? We suspect that the infrastructure costs are significant and that there would be no justification for reinstating service. In other words, Alabama thinks it would cost way too much money to update the railroad so passenger and freight trains can avoid getting in each other's way. There's been a lot of finger pointing here. Amtrak says it tried to complete the study, but the private railroads were not cooperating. The railroads say detailed data about their business is confidential. And Amtrak says without that data, their study is useless. Alabama's governor and trade groups representing workers that rely on freight, like farmers and miners, want to see an impact study before passenger trains get the green light. I think the argument they're making there, your economic impact isn't enough, and we all become just a dollar. Knox Ross is a treasurer for the Southern Rail Commission, which advocates for passenger train travel in the region. He says economics should not be the only factor here. There is a part of this that we need to serve our people. Now Amtrak is asking an oversight board to force the railroad companies to let it use the rail lines. The board's decision is likely months away, but whatever the board decides will set a precedent. This is an issue that's much larger than Mobile to New Orleans. How does the expansion or lack thereof of passenger rail look in the coming years? President Joe Biden earned the nickname Amtrak Joe from his constant trips along the Northeast Corridor. He wants an Amtrak golden age. And the decision made along the Gulf Coast would determine whether that dream gets fast-tracked or derailed. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between MPB, WBHM in Birmingham, and WWNO in New Orleans. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, understanding the pipeline attack causing a consumer panic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Hi, this is Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Nursing and Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and you're listening to a Southern Remedy Health Minute. What do you feel the role of sugar-sweetened beverages is Mm. in contributing to the high incidence of diabetes type 2? It's it's a lot. Uh, I mean, sugar-sweetened beverages, um, which can be things like soda, um, here in in Mississippi, it's things like sweet tea, and then uh, to a, a lesser extent or less talked about, but fruit juice. Um, you know, fruit juice is often seen as the the healthy alternative, and while it does have vitamins and minerals in it, it does not have the fiber that slows digestion down and keeps blood sugar from spiking. So, um, the consumption of any of those sugar sweetened beverages, and that's you know Kool Aid and you know that kind of stuff as well provides no nutrition, so to speak, and you're able to consume those calories and sugar in a very short amount of time. It's often one of the first areas that I start to work with folks on if that's what they feel like they're able to do, right? um, It's all about what you know, what people are, are ready to make changes in. But if I have someone who's you know, drinking sodas or a lot of juice or Kool-Aid or sweet tea, um, and they're ready to change on that, then that's absolutely one of the areas that we start, especially if a large amount of calories are coming from that, because it's going to be very hard to make any any movement in terms of weight or glucose control if you know we're consuming three or four or five sodas a day. For more health tips and medical info, tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. State officials are trying to calm panicked residents following a cyber attack last week. The Colonial Pipeline, which serves about 30 percent of Mississippi's fuel centers, stopped operations last Friday after notifying federal officials it was victim to a ransomware attack. As news spread, lines formed at gas stations throughout the state, leaving some locations bone dry. Andy Gibson is the Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce. He shares more on the situation with our Michael Guidry. What that means here in Mississippi is we had a one, one supplier, just one of many different suppliers of fuel uh, in our state that uh, is offline. And so if there were gas stations that were Colonial Pipeline customers, then their fuel uh, source was uh, gone overnight and they're having to find fuel at other sources. But uh, the reality is it's about 30% of the supply of fuel in Mississippi that comes through Colonial. So we still have 70% uh, that is flowing in here to the state. 
And in fact, uh, those other sources such as the Vicksburg Terminal along the Mississippi River, uh, the Greenville Terminal, uh, Aberdeen on the other side of the state, all of those river terminals were unaffected, and they have actually increased their supply to make up for this shortfall. And we, of course, have Pascagoula Chevron Refinery, uh, as well as uh, another pipeline, the plantation pipeline that runs through Mississippi. And as I said, 30% of our supply is, you know, interrupted at this point, but the other supply chains are rolling and flowing uh, as fast as they can. Are there any particular areas of the state um, that are more significantly impacted because they rely more primarily on the Colonial Pipeline? You know, it really depends on the the particular station and who was buying from Colonial and who was not. Uh, Those who were longtime Colonial customers, maybe that was their exclusive source, you know, they're going to be immediately impacted no matter where they are. But the good news is, as I'm getting reports across the state, uh, there is fuel in Mississippi. It just depends on uh, where you are. You you have to. You may not be able to shop in your same old station that you always go to. You may have to go a little further out of your way to find some fuel. Um, and the, the 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 greater risk that we have right now is people are watching the news and rushed out and panic bought all the fuel and and drained stations dry all over the the state really. So. Uh, that is not helping anything. In fact, it's making it much worse than the actual uh, interruption of Colonial. Can you so, explain that a little bit? I mean, I mean, people see things, they panic. We sort of saw the same thing with paper products at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, what are the ripple effects of, of people kind of going out and, and purchasing fuel in, in large quantities like we saw um, when, when news of this event hit? Yeah. Well, of course, a lot of people are watching the national news, and people see that, and they immediately think, wow, I've got to go do something, and they go fill up all the vehicles, take all their gas jugs and fill them up, and the next thing you know, you've got an empty gas station. Those tanks can only hold so much underground, and when it's gone, it's gone, and you have to wait for the truck to roll to, to fill it back up. It is exactly like, in a lot of ways, the, the toilet, toilet paper crisis of 2020. And so uh, people rushing, getting everything on the shelves, and not leaving any for their neighbor. And uh, that is the greater risk that we have right now. So I encourage people, don't panic. There's nothing to panic about. The fuel is still there. There is no shortage. It's just going to take a little longer for it to get where it needs to go. Some gas stations or fuel stations or had their inventory kind of drained because of uh, the public response. Some, like you said, are affected by the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, for those gas stations and, and fuel centers that, that that right now are experiencing a shortage, what is kind of the time frame for them getting their tanks refueled or for finding alternative uh, sources if they were reliant on Colonial? It, it's really, in some cases, it's going to depend on where the location is and how long it takes to get that truck to roll from where the fuel is to the station. And another complicating factor is here we do have in this country a uh, shortage of truck drivers right now it's just hard to get people to to take on that occupation at this point in time so that's making it a little longer i i'm being told that by the end of this week colonial should be back up and operating that's going to really free up a lot of the supply and the distribution and in the meanwhile people just need to limit our travel to what's necessary going to work going to school and if we do need to make a long trip, I encourage people to call ahead wherever you're going and make sure that there's no fuel uh, interruption there at that location so you can fill back up and get back on the road. 
what does an attack like this um, kind of mean big picture for our infrastructure, our, our fuel infrastructure, and how you know fuel is transported throughout the country and how much people rely on it um, when we see a response like we did? Yeah, I think it reminds us that we really take our distribution systems for granted because every day trucks are rolling, refilling these gasoline stations, diesel fuel stations, and we take that for granted as Americans, and we're blessed with that. I think we need to make sure that uh, as we look to the future and the possibility of future attacks such as this, that we, we build in redundancy, we build in resiliency to have those extra supply uh, chains kick in when necessary, and we need more. It's critical, and I think it highlights the the vulnerability in some cases uh, to these cyber attacks and uh, the need to have procedures in place, uh, firewalls, et cetera, to, to keep this from happening when possible. Well, Andy Gibson, Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce for Mississippi, thank you so much for giving us the, the, the breakdown on this situation and uh, hopefully collectively calming the, the residents of the state. Well, that's the goal. I hope it works. And uh, for everybody out there, just buy what you need for today and the rest of the week, and uh, we'll get through this together and look out for your neighbor by leaving some for the next guy, gal. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.